Hey, Pete. Yeah? It's Aaron. Aaron. Hey, Aaron. <laughs> From Star Trek? The podcast yeah. that we co-host? Yeah. you got. I got that new sound you're looking for. <laughs> Listen to this! Hey, nice. it's your cousin, Marvin Roddenberry. <laughs> Son might be named Marvin. Yeah. Um, uh, but you didn't ask me the question. Yeah, I said I got the new sound you're looking for. <laughs> Was there a question? You usually ask me if I'm ready to start to trek. Well, I know, but we did something different because yeah. this is a bad intro. Like it. It's a bad <laughs> intro. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're normally we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that theme in a normal month. We're in our third week of a little detour into our sidecast, Star Trek, where Aaron Armstrong, me, a lifelong Trek fan, has been introducing Peter to Star Trek. We went through that's the original series. That's me. That's you, Peter. Went through the original series movies. We went through all the Next Generation movies, and now we're actually getting to, hey, what are some of Aaron's favorite Star Trek episodes? Now, if this is the first episode of any of our podcasts you've listened to, I, I gotta ask, bizarre choice. Mm-hmm. This clearly says Aaron's favorites, part two of two. It's a side, you, you clicked on We Love to Watch, you're seeing Star Trek. What are you doing listening yeah. to this as your you first people- ever episode? Usually people click on episodes because they're like, I want to hear your episode on Battle Alita Angel. God, not even even close. Uh, (laughs) Embarrassing, Peter. (laughs) Fine, fine, fine. Valerian and the World of a Thousand Cities. The World of a Thousand Battle Angels Subalitas. Uh, usually people will see the episode title and they say, I would love to hear about that movie. That will be my interest. People like to say, I like to start with the newest and go backwards. Yeah. Instead, they're like, hmm, I want to solve the mystery. Who's this Aaron guy? Yeah. They just went, went, it's so bizarre choice. And part of the reason I'm saying that, though, is like, we did a big intro. We did like 50 minutes talking about the episodes I picked, why I picked them. What we were doing with the episodes, like, we, we don't need to do all that again. Go listen to the one that says part one of two. We're going through a two-part of Aaron's favorites because Aaron had a lot of favorites. He pared it down to 12 episodes. Some would say 13 episodes in Angry Texts at Midnight mm-hmm. when I was accused of sneaking a two-parter into mm-hmm. the, the 12 episodes. It's duplicitousness. There's no other word for it. Uh, it was very Cardassian. Oh, rat fuckery. I think yeah. rat fuckery is the other word. <laughs> um, but we're just going to go right into it. We, my ep- episode one of this covered uh, my, some of my favorite episodes from seasons three through five. And now we're rounding out with seasons six through seven. And as happened last time, as I was going through, I'm like, fuck, should I have chosen the Pegasus or some other episodes that I know Peter would really like that I really like. But I, I did try to, in some ways, pick... Aaron's favorites from when Aaron 
first got obsessed with Star Trek. Like, I still love all of these episodes. There's not a stinker in the bunch. They would easily be some of my favorites. But, like, I also wanted to kind of reflect on what we're doing. And this show was, like, sharing the episodes that I first was like, oh, my God, I love this. And I'm going to watch this episode 20 or 30 times and have it on tape and stuff like that. This week actually includes what, for years, when I was obsessed about Next Generation, I called my favorite Star Trek Next Generation episode of all time. I wouldn't call it that today. I still really like it a lot. But it was unlike anything I'd ever seen, and we're going to all mention it when we get there. So, Peter, we don't need to do a big preamble. I say we just get into the episodes yeah, unless you would like to say something. No, let's get to the amble. You want to amble? You're like, oh, uh, yeah. you're not like a Mata Green. You're like an am- ambling alp if you're mm-hmm. a yaysayer song. Yeah. I'm like E.T. in that I'm ambling something. <clears throat> Entertainment would be. Maybe what I would say. Um, okay, so we're starting. Just to preface, I do. You watch this on Paramount Plus, right? Uh, yes, sir. The 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 network for mountains. Yep. Uh, and and three Yellowstone prequel series, but not Yellowstone. <laughs> but not Yellowstone. Is it weird that Harrison Ford's in two TV series? We don't have time for that. But anyways, um, I did look at the, I looked at the thumbnails, and I was annoyed that I think two of these. Even though the 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 kind of surprise guest actor occurs before even the credits, it is a little annoying that like for the first episode we're going to talk about relics. Um, it has a big old picture of Scotty as the thumbnail. <laughs> it's like hey, I wonder if Scotty's in this episode. But yeah, this is kind of almost completing the set. We're going to do one later of the TOS series characters appearing in Next Generation. Um, Relics is about a Dyson sphere, which is a real uh, the the real scientist uh, uh, basically said, "Hey, one way to have unlimited energy is you build a giant dome around a sun, and then you essentially put all your planet type surface stuff around inside the uh, the the surface, and then it has unlimited energy directly from the sun." Uh, Enterprise discovers a Dyson sphere. They 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 also discover a, sh- a crashed ship on it. In that crashed ship is one uh, 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 a pattern caught in the matter replicator, the transporter for you laymen. And they are like, wow, it hasn't degraded. It's been re- kind of jury rigged. I'm going to uh, rematerialize it. And lo and behold, it's our own Montgomery Scott from the original series who has been stuck in the pattern in the transporter for 75 years. He immediately is trying to, you know um, – I, Peter, you identified a theme about bodies breaking down and aging or basically your mind or your body not doing what it wants. And I said, oh, fuck, a lot of these episodes fit that theme as well. Maybe I was a very interesting 12-year-old. But this is very much about Scott, who was the miracle worker of Kirk's Enterprise, recognizing that he still his, – his love was engineering. His love was ships. And he doesn't understand them anymore. He's 75 years past his level of knowledge. And he's kind of being treated like the old guy at work who used to do things in the Rolodex and doesn't understand computers. And everyone else around him is a little bit frustrated with his wanting to still participate. Uh, So Jordy gets frustrated with him as they're trying to kind of investigate this Dyson sphere. Uh, He also – there's a very famous scene where he gets drunk – Intend forward, and he goes to has the holodeck replicate the bridge of the original starship Enterprise, which was done uh, via green screen and some partial con- reconstruction of sets because obviously that set did not exist. Interactive in some capacity, 
Yeah, yeah, that, but that set didn't exist anymore, and there's, there's a whole special feature on the Blu-ray and the DVD set about how they put all that together, which is really cool. Um, and kind of confides in Picard, you know, how he's feeling. But eventually, they end up, the, the Enterprise gets trapped in the Diphosphere. Geordi and Scotty has to work together, and Geordi starts to appreciate that, hey, this old guy has a lot of good ideas, and he really is a legend. And um, he also, uh, and, and that's, they, they save the day. Scotty... Um, Gets to they give him a shuttlecraft to kind of go off and have his own ship one more time and go explore the galaxy in his remaining years. I think it's a very sweet episode, and obviously, as a continuity obsessed nerd, eleven uh, year old, when they rarely did cool stuff like this on TV shows, now it happens all the time. It was, felt like amazing to watch this episode. So, Peter, what was your take on? relics i really like this episode uh, it was fun to have uh, a member of the old crew come back because the last time we saw one of them uh my favorite uh doc um was in the, the pilot last time but he was in the yep. pilot as an old man he yep. comes in he's grumpy about shit he says some space racism uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's ancient right it's like 135 years old yeah heavy makeup he's, he's very much a cameo and this um Scotty is basically more or less coming back from the same state he would have been in the late movies, you know? Yep. Um, you know, plus a few years. Uh, uh, so he's not, like, completely slowed down. He had just been on a mission, right? When he was he was basically yeah. frozen in time. Um, and I think it's actually a very sweet episode about ageism. Yeah. Um, because it's, 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 um, it's recognizing realities without being cruel. Yep. So it's recognizing realities that, like, very often um, older people can grow stubborn with time and don't necessarily adapt with age. It's not true across the board, right? Um, but it can be true. Um, they don't want to adapt to t- new technologies and new methods. And this way they find a sci-fi techie excuse for this, which is that he was literally stup- stuck in time. Yeah. Like, li- and he like, doesn't understand why they're doing it this way or that way. He doesn't understand why th- this is the new, the new method. He, he constantly thinks like, uh, they're going to blow up the crystals in the <laughs> yeah. drive. Cause they're like, not doing certain things. They, yeah, we're, we're antiquated. Yeah, I think it's a pretty sweet, like, allegory for uh, ageism, um, and in a way that, like, is far more complex and um, dignified than anything than any of Shatner's saying goodbye movies pulled off. Because the Shatner movies could would sort of lean into nostalgia or... Um, Let's let's have one more job. Let's have one yeah. more mission. And like all of that works. Like I like those movies, but like they kept saying goodbye to Shatner and the crew, and it was just eventually it was just exhausting, man. And yeah. and it, it had a desperation to it. This very much, especially the contained kind of nature to it, very much it doesn't have a desperation to it. It very much has like a oh, we brought him back to make a point about the old guard versus the new guard. And in the end, it's not that he like. Uh, perfectly adapts to the new systems. Yeah. It's that, like, the basic principles and strategies behind the, the, the philosophy of being an engineer uh, can be applied forever. Um, and so his intelligence, uh, his actual intelligence, his true core intelligence and problem solving can yeah. get, get him through when, like, his technical book knowledge kind of smarts yeah. um, fail him. Yeah, kind of the ingenuity versus, like, the book learning. Like, he, he kind of gets how things work, even if he doesn't understand the specifics. 
as much as he does. And I think you're right. I think it is nuanced in that it's not saying, hey, just because this guy doesn't understand new stuff doesn't mean that you shouldn't put him to work anyways. <laughs> or or like he, you know, there he has a recognition that like I can't quite do these things anymore. And that's part of the frustration that he's experiencing, right? Like it's not that he it's not written from an oh, you know, to okay boomer perspective where it's like, listen to your elders. He, as a character, is recognizing like, I am too old to learn to relearn how to be an engineer, but I still feel like I have uh wisdom to impart and knowledge to share and you know everything else. And I really love the the dynamic between Scotty and Jordy. And again, this this came out right on the edge of no, this came out before DS9 premiered. So, you know, you're talking about like now there's a lot of different engineers, even if Jordy and Scotty are probably the two most famous. But you kind of have these meetings of these, you know, in the same way that we're gonna see Picard and Kirk meet in uh in generations and kind of recognizing that these two people aren't like fast friends because they were captain of the enterprise they're very different people that was designed into how they wrote the characters of the show it's it's really fun to see um uh, uh scotty and Jordy, where Jordy is like very by the book and very smart and everything else i love the exchange around uh when Jordy's like yeah i told the captain it'll take four hours and and Scotty with a big smile on his face, okay, how long is it really going to take you? And he's like, four hours. He's like, well, if you want to be known as a miracle worker, you can't give accurate estimates. And like, and it, there, all those little scenes of them playing off each other and him, Scotty, telling these stories from – actual stories from the original series is like – you know, and kind of being ignored is so great. And, and the way that they end that with like a mutual recognition and a mutual respect where Jordy tells a story from The Next Generation of a, something that happened the season before in an episode called Galaxy's Child that you didn't watch, Peter. It's a pretty good episode. Um, like it just feels like such a wonder – like again, it, and such a wonderful mutual respect and mutual understanding even if yeah they're probably not going to call each other or text each other or, or do all that stuff but like it they they feel like they both have recognized that they have more in common when it comes to like their passion than they than they do separation by by time and so yeah i think it's a complex very sweet episode it's also a fun episode of star trek where there's no villains right like the dyson sphere is operating uh, is operating just on uh, man, uh, automation, right? It's not doing anything to hurt anything. It's just everything's dead in there. There's tractor beams pulling stuff around and like they're trying to work out a problem. And, you know, Next Generation was always a little more nuanced in its villainry than the original series. But I also like that they were unafraid to do an episode where like some Klingon comes back to, and Scotty's like, that's the Klingon that killed O'Hallahan, <laughs> you know, in in this story, it's just like they're just working out an engineering problem. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's really lovely, and again, yeah, I, I think that speaks what you just said speaks to what makes Star Trek special is that they're not afraid to they're not afraid to have an episode that doesn't feed into a grander arc, and it is just sort of like we're solving a problem so that everybody survives. This is not, you know, like. This is not a Cardassian. Nothing has, and everything has to be a Cardassian plot, right? Like, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I was really into it. Yeah, you pointed to my favorite uh, moment in the whole episode, which is um, him basically like it's speaking to their characters, right? Like him basically yeah. being like, "Well, yeah, I would 
tell him if I, it took me two hours, I would tell him three hours yeah. because it makes me look like a miracle worker when I get, and like that does actually speak to me. It, it doesn't, it speaks to generational differences a little bit. Like mm-hmm. there was, um, like I, I remember being told all these like tricks on how to handle your manager when I like first started working from like my dad's friends and shit at barbecues yeah. and stuff. And some of it was really good advice, like managing upward. And some of it was just like little tricks to get yeah. to, to sneak by. And I was like, I don't really have any interest in tricking my boss, but yeah, that is. You. And you know, <laughs> and again, that was such a common trope. He does. I think he admits to this in star Trek three too. So it's not like the first time that that's come out, but how much of the original series was him saying like, it's going to take us eight hours and Kirk's like, I need it in two and he gets it in two. And it's like that recognition that Kirk or like even that generation expects you to literally do the impossible to meet his bare minimum expectations. And so like, you know, he figured out a way to succeed under that environment, which is very like cold way to put it, but it is functionally what it is. Like it's a, it's a world where everyone who's exceeding expectations is meeting expectations in a review. And, you know, he could change the forces of reality to make things happen quicker, but he could just give a, you know, different impression of how long it was going to take to begin with. Yeah. And I won't say that this is true, but this is the perception. Not all of us, you know, work on uh, big ships and shit. This is certainly a common perception about IT people, right? Is that like, yes, is that they give you an estimate that's 150% and they're just bullshitting you when the reality is they're giving you 150% because they know they're going to have to, they're going to fuck it up like the first and second time. And it's going to, it's going to take them time to like get it through prioritization. And like, they've got to like go to a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Like the 150% estimate is, is usually a reasonable it's just they're telling you 150 percent because they're not a fucking robot right like yeah yeah um they, they, so um defending it people is not something i generally do on this show but i have, yeah i'll I have probably it i'll probably edit it out <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't have much else to say here fun little story did you know what happened to the original creator of the dyson sphere in real life uh, no, I mean, I know it's a, it was like a theory posed in 1950, and I know they showed him this episode, and he goes, cool, it's not what I meant, but <laughs> it's, it's true. Like, they, someone showed him this episode, and he was like, yeah, I mean, this is that's not how it would work at all. <laughs> like, they kind of, you know, very Star Trek, like, I'm going to take the high-level idea, but I, I, I thought that yeah, was Yeah, I can't decide if the writers would be tickled by that or, th- or be kind of pissed off. Um, it seems like, it seems like they were, like... Uh, Again, another uh, Ronald Moore episode. Also, just really quickly before you tell me what happened, this is so. This is six, season six is the first season that aired after Roddenberry died. Roddenberry was very much, as we've talked about, adamant about like, don't even reference the other show, the show that kicked me out. This is my new show, and the writers were like, so many different things they were just itching to do, and Ronald Moore essentially was like. Okay, who can we bring back immediately, <laughs> like, after Roddenberry died? Which, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It, like, it's not meant to be funny, but it is that kind of, like, you know, oh, new, there's new rules now, because this person's not involved anymore, we're bringing back Scotty, or I think they tried to do Kirk first, and then that ended up being too expensive or something. Yeah. Uh, he was too busy writing Tech Wars. Well, the kids gotta learn about Tech Wars. Okay, what happened to the, the Thomas Dyson or whatever his name oh, was? Oh, he started a vacuum company? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant like I thought you meant like what happened to him like at the end. (laughs) 
He's not the same guy that started the Dyson vacuum. No. Company. Okay. Well, I didn't know. No, but there's a di- there's literally a vacuum. That I am aware Dyson of the Dyson. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I don't think they have a po- like. Listen, <laughs> this isn't a great joke. You just had gave me too much vamp. Time. I honestly, <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to impart a level of knowledge, and it was like, hey, fun fact here. Or I thought you were going to say something ironic about like what <laughs> you said. What happened to him? I assumed it was going to be how he died. Yeah. <laughs> Sucked into a sphere. No, it's yeah. just a joke about the other Dyson sphere that I think of as the vacuums with yeah. the balls in the middle. My guess is they stole the name Dyson from Dyson Sphere. Like Tesla? Yeah. Do you think that Probably. was his... It would be great if that was his full name. I think his is a different first name, but if his name was Dyson Sphere. It's Dyson Sphere. Yeah. He's a Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Number two. Uh, tapestry. Well, yeah, uh, one of my Tapa, favorite. Tapa. It's hard. Like I keep wanting to say one of my favorite episodes, except we're doing Aaron's favorite episodes. But God, I love this episode, even if it is so. Even if it is one about uh, aging, and I'm really just hitting the theme over and over. Uh, yeah. Uh, so tapestry is this one. I was also bummed about the thumbnail that shows Q because most, as we've talked about, most Q episodes are called, you know. Cupid or True Q or something like that. And this is, I think, besides like the pilot, the only Q episode that doesn't have his name in the title. And then there on the thumbnail is a big picture Q. So you probably knew that Q is going to be in this episode. His name's Go- sort of in the title because he's a pest. <laughs> yeah. Um, I But I love this, like... I I told I kind of alluded to like Deja Q maybe being or Deja Q maybe being my favorite episode of like the kind of Q centric, but it's actually it's actually this one. Like the plot is that Picard has an artificial heart. He actually told this story in a season two episode called Coming of Age that obviously we didn't watch because season two is bad, but he shares this story to Wesley about having an artificial heart, having the fight with Nausikins, being young and brash as Wesley was about to go take his exams, and the opening scene is that he's dying on a on a hospital table with kind of like a blood stain or oil something all over his shirt and he wakes up in like a all white version of the afterlife and there is Q saying hey you're dead and you're in the afterlife and Picard initially doesn't believe him um and Q starts uh is kind of at is is showing him some stuff like his dad and it's getting more and more real to to Picard and Q is kind of looking at what regrets he had in life so he can kind of move on into the into the next realm. And at first, Picard is kind of um, – notice he doesn't have regrets. But then finally, when uh, Q starts talking about his artificial heart that failed him, there's the reason for his death. He says, hey, yeah, how I lost my heart in the first place. I was young, arrogant, kind of an asshole, a cad. And I got into a fight with some Nausicans at a, a starbase. And yeah, tons of regrets I had in those days. And Q transports him back to that time, right before the fight with the Nausicans, the man lost his heart. He says that he has a chance to change things and and undo some of those regrets. And if he can avoid getting stabbed by Nausicans, he will be alive again with his actual actual heart. Uh, Picard understandably has a lot of initial uh, like changing the timeline. I love all Q's reactions to, God, you guys think you're so important. (laughs) And you have this weird idea of death. Fine. Like, I'll make it so that the only person that changes is you. No one else will change. You can't affect anything. 
all you can do is make your life different using your 40 extra years of wisdom. So, you know, he um, ends up like not being cheating at this pool game with his friend. He is much more stodgy and less like uh, he has a, he young Picard had a bunch of dates and stuff like that. He ends up realizing that this girl that was his uh, friend for a long time that he ended up having feelings on that were unrequited that maybe he should requit them. And uh, kind of by the end, he ends up uh, feeling regret or there's some regret for having slept with his friend. He isolates his other good friend, uh, but he does avoid the fight with the Nausicans. And when he uh, is transported back, kind of reverse It's a Wonderful Life scenario, he's alive but that Picard who didn't take risks, who was acting on the wisdom of a 60-year-old, not a 20-year-old, didn't become the captain of the Enterprise. He became a low-grade junior officer of sciences who is on the Enterprise but isn't very um, – he doesn't recognize himself. He kind of realizes that the, ha- having to make a bunch of useful mistakes is what made him the person that he was and that he would rather, as he says, be – dead on the table than be an unrecognizable person who who wasn't who he who, who never learned those mistakes the in some cases the hard way he gets transported back gets stabbed through the Nausicans and still ends up saved on the table and kind of recounts the story to Riker of like you know the Q kind of giving him a, a gift and unlike other Q episodes where he's like maybe Q was nice to me that time Q doesn't show up as a surprise at the end there's he never appears to the rest of the members of the Enterprise crew but um, there's this great you know scene at the end with kind of Riker being like man I kind of would have liked to know that young Picard and them kind of him sharing more stories but yeah I that's kind of the plot of this I absolutely love this episode it's funny I think it's like you know the the ending when he's sharing like the kind of the line where the title of the show comes from about like he has a lot of regrets from his his younger days. But as he started to unravel them and unraveled the pull at loose strings, it started to unravel the tapestry of his life. And um, I yeah, I, I think that ending scene is fantastic. I think the episode's fantastic. Peter, what did you think about it? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, this week, uh, and I hope this doesn't upset you, um, I liked more of the straightforward episodes um, as opposed to the timey-wimey parallel timelines uh, mindfuck ones. Um, I had a... I I was like... Okay, so I really like the show as just sort of a sober, straightforward-looking show, but... It is like not particularly an impressive show visually. Like it's pretty, it's pretty uh, meat and potatoes, right? Yeah. Um, it does some really fancy stuff, and it's very the camera work is like fully functional, and I'm never confused with what's going on. Like you have to give it give it laurels to that. But like the show has like almost no style to it. Um, there's occasionally episodes on like the Klingon world where it's like shadowy and dark and and moody, yeah. and I'm like that's pretty cool. It's it's brightly lit. Yes, yes. That's the limitation of what TV was at the yeah. time and all that. <clears throat> so, uh, that being said, if if you're going to make, like, a mindfuckery, um, like, uh, I much prefer, generally I prefer movies that have more of, like, a little bit more style, a little bit more flair, because it's ultimately, like, kind of a magic trick, right? Like, yeah. Um, I'm gonna use editing, and <clears throat> I'm gonna use editing, and, uh, 
narration to like help you jump between all these complex ideas and time forms and then yeah. you're gonna know as soon as the camera cuts where you are in the timeline and and we're gonna like maybe mislead you a little bit for fun i i think this show needs a little bit more of that prestige <laughs> it needs a little bit more of that that sort of like joie de vie to really like uh to uh nail some of these like sort of um tricky episodes um, well, I don't. I, I wouldn't call tapestry a tricky. I think I know what you mean by way of frame of mind and parallels. But tapestry to me doesn't seem like seems like a pretty like character based episode. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tapestry is on the light end. I'm just gonna warn you that as we go along, like chain of command is gonna be like more my bag, um, and lower decks is gonna be more my bag. Um, however, uh, what I did like this episode is not. It's not gonna be like in my favorites. Um, we should do an episode that's Peter's favorites, but it's, since I've only watched episodes you've assigned, there'll be episodes we've already covered. <laughs> well, I do think I could do a, like I said, there's a couple episodes like The Pegasus and uh, A Matter of Time that I was like, oh man, like, should I switch out one? Because I think Peter would like these a little more. Like, I'm actually not surprised to hear that you weren't the maybe the biggest fan of Parallels. Like, I kind of... Especially because Parallels as a something you're watching in the year of our Lord 2023 is like, man, everywhere you turn, there's parallel universes on television. It's it's hard. It's hard to like be like, hey, what it was like in 1992 when literally I think the probably the first like here's the idea of the infinite universe quantum theory like ever shown on TV or in a movie was probably in this episode. And like so it's kind of it's. So I was like, man, it feels so minor compared to how often this is done today. But that was an example of something that's like, yeah, but like if you were if you were watching this in 1993, you literally had never seen anything. Yes. You might not even heard of this as a real concept. Like quantum theory was pretty like not in the public vernacular in 1993. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Have to give it credit for all of that. I'm just saying yeah. from watching it as a first time viewer, yeah. like offering that perspective, it's just a li- little bit less impressive from from mm-hmm. that, that point of view. Because like also like tapestry is in its own weird way, kind of like a, we've talked about like episodes that are kind of a twist on like um, it's a wonderful life. Or yeah. like, if I could go or like uh, episodes and like, oh, I'm, I'm filled with regret. Let's, yeah. let's look back at my life. Like we've we've seen episodes like this before um it's just that the actual mechanics of how they get there is obviously like pretty revolutionary that being said all of that negativity out of the way um the reason that this move this episode and parallels do work for me um i don't hate them but they do work for me um is because of the emotional grounding of the show and the fact that like they just these these characters just always work in the show for me like yeah at least in the episodes i've watched like they always have their finger on like where the character should be and the where the char- character should go. And any episode that has Picard reflecting back on his past or Picard having his ethics challenged is like it's gold, right? Yeah. Um, and tapestry, uh, the central the central hook of it is mm-hmm. very funny to me. Yeah. That he wants to go back to a bumper pool game that he played <laughs> yeah. in the seventies or whatever. Play in the seventies. <laughs> I think it's the zeros, bud. <laughs> or the tens. Twenty three ten. Or twenty three twenty or something. Twenty three twenty in the twenties. Uh, but he's yeah. he's playing a Play Dumb game. Jot, you man. 
All right, so he's playing a bumper pool game, right? Yep. And Dumb job. I, I was just, you know, you're playing bumper pool. I'm assuming it's the 70s. Um, and then uh, all of the bumpers are ambulance sirens. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't just get a pool cue because it's a sci-fi show. You get a pool cue that has a little robot spring in it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that like makes your ball go really fast around the bumpers. I don't. <laughs> it's also like completely unclear at how this. This is a lot of like side games where it's like, look, we're shooting up. Ep- we're doing twenty six episodes a year, baby. Like we don't have time yeah. to figure out the mechanics of Domjot. But I always think it's weird when you're watching these like fake side games and TV shows, especially from the 90s, where you're like, okay, hold on. That, how did that character just lose? Didn't he make his shot? I don't, like, I don't understand even what they're presenting me as, like, that was bad that happened, because everything I know about games says that was good, and this has a few moments where, like, <laughs> the guy sinks his shot and everyone looks like, oh no, you sunk it. It's like, is this, like, fucking like cornhole or something where like if you sink it but you you know you knock the other bag in or something like like what did i miss yeah yeah i don't yeah did you cornhole the wrong domjot hole (laughs) um so this so this reminds me of this game when they're playing it reminds me of do you remember we talked about the the michael bay transformers movies and i kept coming back to this idea that and we didn't recover them in the show or anything, but... I was like, I don't think we covered them. Oh, we were talking about Pacific Rim and how Pacific Rim's action dynamics are so clear and crisp, but Transformers oh, are yeah. very confusing. Yeah, yeah. And how Transformers, I often lose track of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in a fight. And how Did that happen I... here? You're like, is it the bold guy or the giant seven-foot Nausicaa? <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Here, so there, I'd have to listen for the music or to see, like, I don't know, Mark Wahlberg smiling or frowning to figure out who won. Oh, yeah. Um, You're only watching the later Wahlberg. <laughs> you know what I mean. You gotta, you gotta get, you gotta stay transformed up. <laughs> Fine. Uh, if Megan Fox frowns or smiles. Okay. Shia LaBeouf. Um, the boofster. Um, how, in this, I had a similar thing where I had to wait for someone to either go, mm, damn, for, or or celebrate for me to understand who won Doja who Cat. Who won Dom John, yeah. Doja Cat. So she took her name. It's from Star, uh, Star it's from, Trek. It's from Tapestry. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I feel like you've gone back and forth in Q, but I on Q, I think Q is very funny in this episode. I'm pro Q now. Good. So you get Q Anon. You're, the character yeah. I'm mixed on. <laughs> I I think he's very funny in this episode. Um, when I was a, when I was younger, I especially I thought all the little like you know, um, uh, his kind of commentary on how sillies. Like I think one of the things that Q when he's used well can have a lot of commentary in a meta way on like some of the seriousness of the Trek universe. And I I mentioned it, but I really like that thing where he's like. Um, like, do you really think if you change things that you're that important in the grand scheme of the universe? Like, yeah. but okay, but like, um, that's, which that's why it's fun to have a god character because yeah. they do, the the show doesn't have to the show doesn't have to have that hanging over your head the whole time. Like, is this a trick? Like at this point, Q has played semi straight with Picard a couple times, and he's yeah. just like, all right, that's not the game here. The game yeah. here is to yeah. show you that if I take you back and you keep your yeah. human heart or whatever, you're going to end up like an underperformer in the future. It's... 
<laughs> yeah, the the one part that would felt a little more heavy handed watching it for the first time probably ten or fifteen years, and I get it, like it's a forty minute show and there's a lot of things going on. You have him dying, you're establishing characters forty years ago, the Nausican thing, and like when they flash forward to the It's a Wonderful Life and you know, I wanna die again. Um, um, he's, Put me on uh, that bridge, Mary. Like the way I'm that like jump. Yeah, the way that he sits down, it is. It is like if it's a wonderful life, was like it's no, I should die. Um, he he sees Troy and Riker, you know, and he comes up to them. He's like, um, "Hey, can you give me my performance evaluation now?" And they're like, "You're just not all that good. You never <laughs> tried. You never really took any like the idea that like." They would be doing a quick evaluation on his entire career as opposed to like whatever they like. That would be insane if if even even a like, hey, maybe you shouldn't look for command if I'm just like, hey, just got to do a quick summation on your entire life to let you know why you don't think it. like that part's a little bit heavy handed. Again, I get what they're doing. Like you have to you have to get you have three minutes to let to let uh, to tell the audience that this is not the person that Picard wants to be. Um and that's hard to do without being just very explicit, like, you never took any risks, kid. Too late for you now. You're an old man. It's funny, though, because, like, I bet you the average Star Trek nerd would be, like, pretty happy to be on the Enterprise and be just kind of a schmo. I mean, they got a lot of schmoes, yeah. I mean, they talk about in Lower Decks how big of a deal it is to get on the flagship of the Federation. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, he, the idea that, like, you're the sh- you're just, like, you know, you're pretty good. You press yeah. all the buttons. <laughs> I don't know what you do. You, you do all the spaceship. You, do you all don't the space. do. You don't do the spaceship like really good. I like yeah, or even just like the why it's especially heavy hand is like I do get the concept that they're going for, which is like sometimes you do need to do dumb things in your youth that like you barely scraped out of because. You know, that's kind of te- – like, he notes that after he almost died from the Nausicans, it did give him a whole new perspective of life. And not everyone needs those types of perspective-leading moments, but p- some people that have those do make some major changes into, like, you know, you know, you know, I, I, I'm sh- – there's tons of things that I – people who say they live with no regrets are insane people. Like, of course, with, you know – in my four, in my almost forty years on this earth, if I went to go be a twenty-year-old as a forty-year-old, I would probably say different things. I would do different things. I would have a better like. Of course, I I would. And like, you're just never going to be a forty-year-old when you're twenty-year-old. Would that make a better person? Maybe probably. But it's you know, it's this kind of gives that kind of look on how you'd have to go back and and do that. But like, that's a personal realization for him. The idea that his evaluation would be like, hey guy who works in stellar cartography could you like take more risks <laughs> like could you maybe like spin the sensors way too quick in a way that like will get us a better image slightly quicker but the sensor could fall off like what what who what in a job evaluation they're like are they like ideally you're doing a lot more dangerous things and <laughs> scraping by like yeah 
I, my 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 evaluation. Any negative thing I've ever heard in an evaluation wasn't like mm, you didn't break process enough. I know, no. So that's. I mean, again, I get they're su- summarizing it, but it is funny that they take a personal realization and making it into a formal review. Like, hey, maybe walk on the wild side. You don't need to check all your directions before you hit go <laughs> on the ship. You know, sometimes you just got to hit it and hope you don't hit all the stars. <laughs> it's fine. Take yeah. a couple risks, bud. Blast the fog hat, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Uh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is sort of unfortunate. Uh, how often we end up talking about pace reviews on the show. So the next one is, again, uns- I, this is one of those ones, it is one of my favorite episodes. It is also one that I'm like, this is going to be favorites. Like, no doubt in my mind that this was going to be your favorite episode of the week. Um, it is typically considered, you know, part two specifically is one of the, you know, top five best episodes of Star Trek. The ending, you know, There Are Four Lights is usually considered like one of the best all-time star trek lines like maybe there's another one you liked slightly more but my guess is that this is the chain of command parts one and two was like oh this is my shit uh absolutely yeah some of the best shit out there um obviously we get do i need to say it do i do i even need to say it david warner's here david warner <laughs> ronnie cox which ronnie is cox like cox is here you said that David Warner is an Aaron actor, and even though I love Ronnie Cox, I think Ronnie Cox is to uh, right, David Warner is to Aaron as Ronnie Cox is to Peter. Like I think that <laughs> I think that equation works, and it's it's great that they're in this two part together. But yeah, really quickly, so uh, the plot of this episode is a two parter, and essentially Picard has a history in studying metagenic weapons uh, and metagenics in general, which is this idea that you basically put a uh, put a virus that is specific to a genetic material that can destroy all life on any planet, but then leave all the city structures very quickly, and then it kind of dissipates into the air. Very dangerous, huge biological weapon. And they also are realizing that it's possible that the Cardassians, who you've met now previously, are de- or have you you've have we done any Cardassian stuff? No. No. Last okay. Week, last week they were referenced briefly, and I started laughing because I realized that a Maria Bamford bit actually pulled Star Trek. Oh yeah, when we were talking about Rolaren in the next phase. Yeah, yeah. I so gotta find you... a Maria Bamford bit and send it to you. It's very funny. Yeah, they're kind of like uh, you know, like fifties uh, Stalinist uh, Russia, as you probably got a sense of, like a like a military run, like. That's kind of their 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 way to go, and, and Bajorans are like Polish people or other countries that they kind of conquered and put these military. But anyways, um, I forgot that you had not been exposed to them. But essentially, they are discovering the metagenic webs and that can be sent via subspace space signal, which makes it less dangerous to people. So literally, it's like a, a telephone signal that unleashes a biological weapon, and then you come in a couple weeks later and you own your neighbor's house or whatever. Uh, just by giving them a little call. So Picard, it's a top secret mission. They're going to this planet that's in Cardassian space, but it's not inhabited. They think there's a secret lab research, and he's there to make to identify if it's true. Uh, Crusher's there to destroy it. Worf's there for, for muscle. And meanwhile, someone else has to take command of the Enterprise. And they choose uh, uh, Ronnie Cox, who plays Captain Jellicoe. Uh, because he was the one that initially um, brokered the armistice with the Cardassians. And they're going to go – because they feel like there's about to be a huge war with the Cardassians. They're, plot, they're plotting something. 
Um, the 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 kind of initial drama in part one, specifically before Picard goes on this mission, is that uh, Captain Jellicoe's very different captain <laughs> than our Patrick Stewart. He is almost like he's the shitty upper management boss who does not care about morale. Is really this idea of I'm the boss, I'm in charge. He doesn't care about how good your performance reviews were. He doesn't get how successful. He's like, just do it my way. I'm not interested in thoughts, feedback. So he immediately is clashing with all the crew. The only thing that, like, he does that's good, that kind of stays for most of the rest of the series, is he finally is like, hey, kind of weird that Deanna Troy... He says it for weird reasons, like, can you stop wearing your pajamas on the bridge of the Enterprise? But he is like, can you wear a uniform from now on? <laughs> like, you're supposed to? And thankfully, they finally get uh, Marina Citrus out of the weird robe that, I guess, <laughs> pajamas she's been wearing for the whole episode, so you get a little more cleavage. So that's like yeah. a pod, like, that's a meta-textual positive that Ronnie Cox does permanently on the Enterprise. Literal um, negative, because I think he's doing it because you think it's either... It's sexually distracting to him, or he thinks it will be to the Yeah, family. like I said, it's a metatextual positive, not in... in, in it's involved. a literal negative. It's metatextual a literal negative. positive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the other thing, and I think they do this, is, like, they don't make Jellico like, a bad guy. They make him a shitty boss that you don't want to work for. Yeah. Like he has all the He's pictures of his... competent. No, and he has he just does things differently than the captain we've been seeing, but he, you know, clashes with every member of the crew, eventually relieves Riker of his command for questioning him, but we'll get to that in a second. So Picard does his rescue mission and he's captured at the end of the episode, and you find out that um it was all a ruse because they are planning an invasion, and uh there's a of um of I forget the name of the system. I don't, I don't know why I didn't write it down. That's kind of one of those weird things that I thought I would know. But um, that they uh, – that oh, Minos Corna, uh, where he's looking for the defense plans for Minos Corna. And they, they were trying to capture Picard because they assume as the flagship he would be sent to defend that. He's going to know all their defensive strategy and they can take over the system and kind of restart the – Cardassian War. But Picard doesn't know. They try putting him under drugs to tell the truth. And he honestly does I, – I always got the sense that he legitimately didn't know or he's really good at not sharing those things. They, they It kind of becomes moot really quickly in the episode, which is one thing I love about it. Um, because eventually David Warner as the main Cardassian is like, well, I need to break you. I need to do what torturers do. And so he – um, is he shows four lights behind him and keeps asking Picard how many lights there are. And when Picard says four, he says there's five, and then they've injected, they put this thing in his heart that essentially sends unimaginable pain throughout his body. And so there's all this back and forth around, you know, these meetings with David Warner and Patrick Stewart. They're some of the best scenes the show has ever done, in my opinion, of like essentially Picard, through his integrity and who is his person, kind of showing up at every turn how he is able to get under David Warner's skin um, non-literally figuratively every single time and he he kind of has the upper hand even though he's being brutally and uh, inhumanely abused throughout like but uh, we can talk about some of those scenes more explicitly but it's just some amazing scenes meanwhile Ronnie Cox asks Riker says hey I know you're tired but we, we did find that here's all these Ships hiding in this nebula, let's go put some mines on their back. We're able to go in the nebula, 
undetected and then we're going to basically say we need Picard back or sorry that you need to abandon your plans or we'll blow up all your ships and then which succeeds in this great scene uh, and he says oh yeah one last thing I believe you're holding a Captain Picard hostage please let him go and the ending scene's very famous he um or actually it's kind of two en- ending scene epilogue where uh, David Warner realizes he's going to have to let Picard go and is basically saying, hey, everyone's dead. We won. So, hey, just one more thing. You're going to be a prisoner here forever. I can torture you till you die for 10, 20 years. Or you can live a life of quiet luxury, you know, quiet uh, serenity, studying, reading books. All I need you to do is uh, is tell me that uh, there's there's five lights and as he's sta- Picard is staring at the lights, the guards come in and say, what are you doing? We have to get him back to a ship. And he yells, you know, there are four lights. Famous scene, great scene. But I think the really, like, the coda to this that I think really kind of sticks in your brain around, like, the effect torture can have on people, which he calls out somewhere in the episode that, like, you're not, ex- you're just, you, you're not actually, it's, it's unreliable for extracting information, but you will eventually get people to say what you want them to say because it's so brutal. He confides in Troy that at the end, he was going to say before they said he was going back to ship that he was going to say there was five lights. And he said, more than that, I thought I could see five lights. And like, that's where the episode ends on. Like everyone kind of remembers that triumphant moment of there are four lights, but, like, I think the real brilliance of this episode is having him confide that not only was he going to say there was five lights, but at that point, he had convinced himself there was to not have to deal with the torture anymore. Yeah, it's this is definitely some this is definitely some of the best truck we've, we've seen so yeah. far. This is this is why um, I think as we're watching more of the favorite episodes, I'm liking yeah. the movies less, the TNG movies specifically. Oh, I, I told you that was going to happen. Where I'm like, wait, why did we bother? Yeah, um, no. Like, first contact was some fun, but like, why bother after that? Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, to jump back to something you were saying, yeah. uh, I think he genuinely didn't know. I think that they were the in, in, so that he didn't if, in case he did get captured because Ronnie Cox is was pretty sure that that could yeah. happen. In case he did get captured, they didn't tell him about like um, you know key military data, and they like relieved him of command, like pretty much as soon as the mission started and sent him off to do Navy SEAL simulations. Well, and um, also, like, whenever the admirals do beam in with, here's your orders, here's your thing to defend it, like, they have sub- subspace communications. Like, they just give them the orders and then they go. Like, it's kind of because the Cardassians are crazy military-minded type people, right? They're the ones thinking that that the Federation is focused on the same thing. Cause that's a very common Cardassian thing that, like... You guys are just as warlike as we are. You would have done this, to, like, which is, you know, trying to kind of say that, like, if you're a, if you're a hammer, all you see is nails. Like, they make the assumption that the Federation is just as war minded and just as wanting to conquer as they are. They just hide it better. And so, yeah, they assume that that's their talk. This is a, a sensitive system and Picard would be in charge of defending it from the Cardassians. Of course, you know, and have talked about it. And obviously for them, it's like. We don't. We actually assume that you'll keep the armistice, and we have no, you know, we have no desire to fight you. The the the, the question of whether or not like he knew anything yeah. is like they're the literally. I do, I think no because of just the timing. Yeah. I think they purposely excluded him. In a thematic sense, I also think it's no because yeah. uh, that's pretty quickly in the episode they show him just 
here's everything I know. Like yeah. you have, you here's can, my serial he, number. Here's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not that, and, and I like that this is, uh, an episode that aired, um, before the global war on terror, um, almost a decade before the global war on terror. Yeah. 92. Uh, yeah. Um, if anything, it was commenting on the Kuwait war. If it had like a more recent war. Yeah. And, um, what, what, one of the most trade, the, the biggest for me, mental, like trademarks the memories of the global war on terror is that is, is the understanding that we had CIA black sites and we would take people and abduct yep. them, whether or not they were innocent and that we were doing essentially what the, I'd always taken as bad guy stuff. It was part yeah. of my like radicalization, um, was, was realizing like, and then, you know, you start to extrapolate from there. And then as the years go on, you're like, oh, my God, cops have black sites. Oh, sometimes yeah. cops just beat people in the streets for no Cops problem. are a lie. Wait, it's legal for them to just lie to you until yes. you say yep. what they oh, want you to say? DNA yeah. Here. Like, Your friend already confessed and said you did it. You'll get a lighter promising. Like, there's like, I just recently read an article, like, the seven things that cops are legally allowed to lie to you about. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's, I mean... Yeah, you're you're hundred percent right. That kind of realization that like, man, it's we we do this to our own citizens too. Yeah, and uh, it's just sort of it's a the I think I do think like the Abu Ghraib like men men with bags over their heads um, was like a big moral moral explosion for me. Yeah, um, because it took that anger about nine eleven and it just. Um, yeah, transmuted it into sadness and 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 understanding that like we were we had we had not only gone too we're far the but like yeah, we're the baddies like mm-hmm. we were from the jump we had been misguided um yeah. and and um here i think that it's it's pertinent to the global war on terror is like you'll get people to give up stuff all the time and then later in the episode picard is like yeah one of the we don't torture for ethical reasons but also like you can get it's, it's a really unreliable yeah it's a really unreliable way of yeah. yeah, I mean, that's one of the problems. Like, Zero Dark Thirty as a movie is one of the best directed war movies ever made. Like, it's it's insanely, it's insanely well-directed. But, like, one of its key issues is that it at various points it kind of bended reality to assert that torture worked. Yeah. But in reality, like, we got down, like, it even admits at various points, like, getting bad intel from torture can lead you into dangerous situations. And I love that this is sort of, uh, you know, yeah, almost a decade before the global yeah. war on terror, we yeah. um, we were we were contending with the same issues because torture has been an ethical concern forever, um, and we just haven't learned the right fucking lesson yet for some reason. Yeah, and it's easy. One of the things, like I said, that I think this episode does so well from a nuanced perspective is that it's really easy for you to to take this episode as a victory. Like one of the things that's like. Fun to watch. It's not fun to watch a Picard get brutally tortured, and they, of course, they do it in a way that could get aired on net- network television. But it, I mean, Patrick Stewart's so good, and he sells like the feeling like he's literally being burned from the inside every time he presses that button. So even though there's not the gore that you would associate with like the brutalness of torture, like Picard and John, you know Patrick Stewart's acting sells how brutal it is in a way that feels visceral. And real, but it's also easy, like I said, like there is a lot of satisfaction in the fact that, yes, David Warner's character has the physical upper hand, but Picard always has the psychological upper hand. Like, right when, um, 
David Warner's trying to build camaraderie so that he tells them there's five lights. He tells a story from his youth about this egg and this delicacy when he's finally feeding them. And, you know, David Warner thinks that's going to get him to see him as a real person and maybe, like, go along with what he wants because it'll be a path of least resistance to have more food and stuff like that. And Picard sees through it right away and instead is like, oh, that's so interesting that now, you know, now you bully uh, now you bully people for a life. You're just a little scared kid, angry that you had something stolen from you. And this is the work of a really sad six, six-year-old. And obviously, David Warner then loses it, loses control, and starts yelling at him and screaming. And, like, it's easy. Like, those moments are satisfying because you have an, a bad guy who is trying to do a bad thing. And our hero is, like, beating him at his own psychological war games. So, I, you know, the, it can be tempting um to any show to go and then at the end he has this tri- like i said he has this triumphant there are four lights you know and it's it feels triumphant and i i just love the fact that this this show goes like sits in the fact that there was no triumph in any of it and that it really did burn patrick stewart down and he has to contend with the fact that he was ready to give up that integrity when he realized there was no hope and face torture and like that idea of like yeah he not only was he willing to lie, because, of course, everyone knows there was four lights, but, like, his brain was telling him there was five lights just to get out of any more pain. Like, which, you know, like I said, it fits with what he was saying, that this isn't reliable, you're not going to get accurate information. But, like, that... He, I'm willing to accept your reality um, to avoid yeah hurting anymore. They, you know, in, in some levels, even though he never broke in front of David Warner, like, it's kind of this moment of Patrick Stewart, or sorry, Jean-Luc Picard saying, they did break me. I just, like, he didn't get his victory because I was rushed from safety like 30 seconds before. And, like, that's such a, I think, a brave place to end this episode on. And I, But I, but it works better for the themes. If it, if it was all, like, if it was all like this guy is torturing you and um, uh, Picard has the psychological upper hand, it feels like maybe something that has a lot more rah-rah cheering moments. And I think still sitting with the impact of everything we saw at the end is such a is such a great choice. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, it, uh, it does make me feel like, um, similar to the end of the Borg arc, um, that maybe Picard needs some... <laughs> time off um that's why he became a a nuanced action hero because he's got the borg arcs he's getting he's getting tortured by cardassians and then uh and then like his brother his brother's wife and his nephew (laughs) dies at the beginning of generations it's like yeah by the time we get to first contact he's like i'd like to shoot some borg in the face please (laughs) i got a lot i've never really worked through (laughs) he he does have a lot that he needs and like i don't know if i don't know if a a weekend at the vineyard is gonna solve this Um, i don't think so uh i i but they do they do indicate that like some time has passed between when he is brought home yeah. And when he's finally, like, the keys are handed back to him. Yeah, because um, he wrote a whole report that Troy's read and he's been in recuperation. Yeah, so it's not like they're like, hey, yeah, I know you had a late night at the on the torture stick, but, uh, you know, shifts. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie Cox is kind of a dick, so yeah. if you could. <laughs> we Yeah, we, <laughs> we have... Um, 
a sub filling in for you and they cost more per hour than you do so yeah (laughs) um yeah i we you know all the ronnie cox moments are so good he's so good at being just like a you know in some ways he's playing his robocop character with less evil his robocop character is like a hundred percent he's He's no, he's, 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 um, Maybe he's totally recall character. I don't know. He's, he's playing that, like, I'm is, a corporate stooge as a starship captain. I don't read him as evil at all. I, I read him as, as well-intentioned across the board. Well, yeah, I, um, I think the smartest little decision they do is even though they're like, get that fish out of the room. Here's your dumb book. He puts up a bunch of pictures from his kids. Like, it's a, it's a good way. Yeah. It's a good minor way to humanize someone where it's like, do I not like him or do I... Or do I not like that my dad was changed? <laughs> do I not like my stepdad or is my stepdad a shitty dude? Yeah, and I, I, I think that it's interesting that like, okay, so um, he's asking them to make decisions. He's not listening to feedback, which is automatically the type of boss that nobody likes yeah. or respects. You might listen to that boss. You don't get fired. Yeah. Um, but like... It's a sort of boss that doesn't inspire any loyalty and inspires yeah. sort of, um, uh, which he gets told bosses that demand authority over respect, yeah. which he gets told um, I, there's are, that great scene where Troy's like, just to let you know, they don't respect you. They're trying to understand. They're willing to learn, but they just, they have no idea what's going on. He's like, well, you've thought a lot about this. I guess you can now be in charge of making sure the crew respects me, <laughs> which is like such a good, like shitty boss thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Can you do that work for me? <laughs> yeah. And 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 the the idea is he's like basically dis- disregarding her role as like an emotional counselor. Like he's disregarding her role as like sort of a gl- a psychological glue to get to hold the ship together. But like I don't necessarily think that he's like evil. I I don't think I he's think evil. That, I just think he I just has think a that there's management styles that I think are fundamentally doomed to fail. Yeah. And inspiring um and trying to inspire uh yeah uh, obedience yeah. over loyalty or obedience over respect in people yeah. is a surefire way to make sure that people well for one they look for the first first convenient uh exit con- first convenience office that they can get to after they walk out the door and then second um it, it inspires people to work around you yeah. not work through you it, it inspires opaqueness in in uh in the office where people are like you know he's not gonna catch me if i do this shortcut <laughs> um because he's blindsided here 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 and here whereas like if you have somebody you respect you're like you know this was their this is their process they walked me through it they explained me through it uh, they worked with me on it like, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna trust them here on this one and if it backfires i know that i can say hey here's my feedback and not get fucking thrown in the brig yeah. Yeah, um, I do like the scene of both of uh, Riker and Jellico dressing each other down, like the permission to speak freely, and then yeah, and then Riker's just big smile as he says, "As long as we're speaking freely, here's what I think about you." Like, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's it is the you know uh, board chosen replacement CEO. <laughs> it's yes. like this guy will do good for our bottom line, and not not who cares what the staff thinks of him or yes. even the you know even the senior level staff but it's yeah i i like you know and he the the, the kind of the the fun thing that this show does is like his plan does rescue picard and 
he does have some pretty good handle on the negotiations and what the Cardassians are going to do up until the point that they kind of, you know, change the nature of the game by having um, uh, Picard uh, announcing they've captured Picard. Like he's like again, he if if the board, the board of directors appointed him to help their bottom line, the he's he's doing what he was supposed to do and and accomplishing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, his methodologies are going to be a bunch of work that the crew doesn't totally believe in, yeah. but, like, it it works fine, and You, also, you can see why they went, like, this is a good guy to lead this situation, because it does work. Yeah, yeah. And the, an important thing here is, uh, I just, I'm not, like, defending him, because I would, I, like, obviously... I, I, yeah, I would have been a Riker or a LaForge, like, this guy sucks. Yeah. yeah of yeah. course. Every, everyone everyone would, be, would. I hope everybody would be. Um... But I hope that people are not looking for um, <laughs> sycophants. Um, the, the important part here is that he's not a bad leader because he followed bad intel and got Picard c- captured in a trap. Because Picard himself walked into a trap like two episodes ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Or not two Last episodes. episode. You know the I mean? same episode, actually. <laughs> yeah. Picard, well, Picard not only was like, yep, seems like good ad- intel, we'll trade for this. But he walked into a trap in the... Um, the episode with the Romulans and the oh, Romulan the defector. defector. Yeah. He walked into a Romulan trap. He had his plan B picked out, but like, yeah. so does Ronnie Cox. Yeah. Like, Ronnie Cox is like, you know what? Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna let these negotiate. Actually, trying to undo the meta, meta weapon, metagenics metagenic weapon that's the plan b yeah. right that's his backup plan if if everything falls through it ends up you know splashing in his face a little bit but like ultimately his plan works because he also has a plan c to cover for the plan yeah. b right yeah. um and I, and I feel like like that's the in- interesting thing it's not that that the the federation just like promoted a loser like clearly he's had a lot of success and like also in the like military mind and business mind are very often two different things and should be two different yeah. things um, yeah, it's, it's also why, like, one thing that Roddenberry always said was, like, yes, we took the ranks from the Navy, but it's not the military. Like, there is – it's it's funny that, like, there is some how effective it is or how true it ends up being. But the idea was, like, these – it's an explorer group and sometimes needs to be defended. But it's not like – they're not, like, the equivalent of the Air Force or the Navy. Like, that's not – how, that's not how he wanted to see them. This is kind of getting to like what would be more common in the navy when the military is like, oh, you have a new general who the general doesn't have to tell you shit. Go shoot that thing. Go jump on the mine. Like it's a it's a bad system. Probably good for the military. Not so good for like you know the Federation and Starfleet or like any other situation. And and but but this is like the kind of first like yeah I'm the general who cares if my troops like me I'm I'm in charge and I outrank them so. They gotta listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, yeah. it's someone with a more traditional military mind, right? Yeah. Um, uh, he's the Patton. Uh, yeah. This I I love this episode, Peter. I'm not surprised. This uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is your favorite one this week. Um, but yes, I would say I would say below decks is is really or lower decks is really really good. Yeah. Um, really close, but like chain of command is something I'll be thinking about like years yeah. from now because just everything it tries to do. It becomes, it's becoming like in my head, like a, me- a broader metaphor yeah. for the way I think about things, which is 
that's pretty that's pretty powerful, right? Like it's not often that like media gets to kind of replace your existing images of how these 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 archetypes work. All right, so frame of mind, frame of mind and parallels were the two that I was like, you know, I don't know how much Peter's going to like these episodes. I still really like them, but it is a little bit of nostalgia and a little bit of just recognizing that like this is the first version of this type of story I had ever seen, right? I'm 11 or 12 years old. Frame of Mind is about Riker, who's uh, acting in one of Beverly's plays, where he plays a, a, an insane mental patient who who murdered someone, but is, is trying to work through um, what happened to him and, and come to some realizations. Meanwhile, he's being sent on this mission to this planet where he's going to play undercover as a, as a as a merchant and as things start going he ends up uh, all of a sudden waking up in th- weird things are happening around the ship and he eventually wakes up on um in in the actual uh, uh asylum from the play he was doing with and he's having trouble remembering who he was as as Riker and is starting to come to the realization that maybe um Maybe the Enterprise is a, a, a fantasy. It's actually a pretty common, like, later on I realized that there's a lot of 90s sci-fi fantasy horror shows that have this. Like, Buffy famously has a almost an um, almost an exact episode of this where she's in Sunny Sunnydale Asylum. And everyone's like, your, fa- yep. your fantasies of being a vampire slayer are just that, right? That came out a few years after that, but there are tons of... In the same way, like, almost every series that goes on long enough fantasy series has its Groundhog Day episodes. Uh, even DS- DS9 did this in what is maybe considered the best episode of Star Trek ever a little bit, where it's about uh, what, what if DS9 is actually the fantasy of a, of a black writer in the 40s who can't, who's trying to tell stories of this black captain on a, on a spaceship. Um, and oh yeah, and while we're while yeah. we're there, I, we didn't. I don't know if we talked about this much in our Ash versus the Evil Dead um review. Yeah, uh, that show that has obviously has because of the people writing it has like um roots back in like Xena Warrior Princess yeah. and nineties yeah. TV has a bunch of episodes that basically are just like stock nineties episodes, and one of them is I think it's actually a few episodes is Ash ends up in an asylum. And is being convinced by demons that he's just uh, he's just a guy, just mentally unstable. Yeah. Um. And they do a really good job with that trope. But I remember I was watching this and I was like, Oh yeah! In the nineties, this was a trope was trying to convince the main character. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember the Buffy one specifically. Yeah. Trying to convince the main character that uh, this is, they're all, they're cuckoo. Yeah. This isn't real. Don't worry about it. This also kind of almost fits to another mini theme that Star Trek did a lot of. What if weird shit, weird creepy shit is happening on the, the Enterprise? Like, we haven't done many of those episodes, but there's a lot of them. Like, there's ones where, like, Data is dreaming and imagining this weird stuff happening on the show. There's one called Night Terrors that's kind of a cool, creepy, like, haunted house in space episode where Troy is getting excited, you know. So they had a few of these episodes where creepy stuff is happening. And eventually, like, there's this whole thing about, like, you know, him basically, Riker being kind of convinced he's not real, that the Enterprise is a fantasy, too many weird things are happening, and he actually is this person who committed this murder who's been living out this fantasy for a long time. Um, and, uh, and even then, like, sometimes people come and try to rescue him and it gets, you know, it gets kind of progressively weirder where things are making less sense. Like 
the he Riker at one point literally like smashes into the screen and breaks like shards of glass and like ends up somewhere else. And well, yet what I end up finding out is that you've kind of been seeing scenes from the last couple days through the prism of someone whose mind is trying to get interrogated by this like brain thing. So essentially the whole episode you've seen is a fantasy that takes elements of him being locked in this hospital on this planet and being framed for this murder combined with the play that, um, that, that, that Beverly was doing and him getting preparing for the mission. So it's like, again, filtered through a brain that's trying to defend itself from an attack. You've essentially been saying fantasy for the entire thing. Uh, it was I used to call it my favorite episode of Next Generation because it was unlike at the time anything I'd ever seen. And it was something that like later on, even when I was watching those Buffy episodes or seeing previews for movie, you know, you there definitely this wasn't like something that that I don't know if Star Trek started this from a TV show, TV show perspective. Um, I mean, I think there was episodes of Moonlighting where they were like, oh, you're actually actors and we're taking down the sets and like, you know, that kind of like, oh, shit, is this is this just a TV show or is is the TV show that we're watching some version of a fantasy on the actual TV show is not new. But it was my first exposure to it. And I still have a proclivity for like these types of movies. I remember like, do you remember the movie The Adjustment Bureau or something like that? It's not a very good movie, but. It was like that idea of like, hey, Dark City, The Matrix, like all these things are what if the world you know is not quite right? This is this is kind of feeding into that. And this was the first time I saw it. And I was like, what a mind trip. You know, I was I was blown away by this episode. It feels a little obviously not as amazing knowing both the influences that inspired this and just seeing, you know, 30 more years of fiction related to this. But I like Riker Reich- was my favorite when I was younger. Um, and this was a really good Riker episode, and, and so I, I still have a lot of affection for this. And again, it would have felt disingenuous to to not include what my favorite Next Generation episode was when I was 12 yeah. in the list of Aaron's 12 favorite, you know, Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, and we'll have more opportunities that will pretty much function as your favorite episodes, because, like, I want to do a, a month. Uh, I want to do, a, uh, not a month, but I want to do a few episodes of, like, uh, scary Star Trek yeah. across the various shows, like yeah, um, like I want to do maybe like a DS Nine arc uh, during that time. Yeah. Like I, I do um, think uh, episodes I think would be Pete's favorite would be a really good like four or five episode uh, one we could do. <laughs> Which ones do you think? Like I would absolutely. I mean, I I knew you were gonna like Chain of Command. Like I I, I knew yeah. you were gonna love Lower Decks. You were correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't really like. This is the only episode of the bunch that I just really didn't like yeah. and it didn't click with me. Um, the I think you kind of nailed like what its limitations yeah. are. Um, and I I discussed earlier some of the messed uh, messed up headspace stuff uh, is uh, not as compelling to yeah. me when it's not visually compelling. Yeah. Um, and this episode is very low budget humdrum feeling, um, which. Um, isn't always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like in Chain of Command, the low budget's great because they just like build a big torture chamber room. Yeah. And, and let Patrick Stewart uh, and, do and, and all the work. Yeah. And they do, like Patrick Stewart do all the work. And seeing uh, that when they're using the old sets in Chain of Command, seeing Ronnie Cox wearing uh, the captain's uniform and commanding everyone around and barking everyone around and people are standing in slightly different positions, that is a big dramatic impact. And that all that costed them was whatever Ronnie Cox's salary was for the week. Um, $8 and million dollars. yeah, 
High speed actor in Hollywood. He was in RoboCop and, and he was in RoboCop and a few episodes of TV. Bever- hey, Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> Highest R uh, rated grossing movie of all time until I think The Passion of the Christ. I the problem is with for me. Um, well, for one, uh, it's it's better than it is certainly better than the um, Predators that got really into Motley Crue in uh tapestry yeah. uh but i do not like the aliens uh with the weird bar heads it's like a part it's they like a part a in the middle if it was on their skin yes and then they show a ferengi no uh in the uh, chain, chain, chain of command, command. Yeah. and i'm like you can't have a half ferengi as your whole race <laughs> yeah it's some really lazy forehead bumps uh, there yeah, is a, there is an episode no. of the next generation called the chase where they discover that like all the humanoid species, uh, it's kind of their way to be like we get it's just different levels of forehead and nose crinkles, and it's because they find out that basically all the humanoid species in the galaxy was seeded by a by a proto race that was mimicking them their DNA after like again who, who cares it's something I didn't know yeah. but I knew. Yeah, it's you know, like they're it's like they're just because of like Mass Effect and like all the yeah. other media that's passed that on. Like that's that's just kind of um, it's 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 something that Star Trek uh, popularized, and then all sorts of media like picked up. The yeah, well, it. it is kind of like I, I I think like this is a good example, and I think the next episode is a really good example of Star Trek being on such a forefront of trends. And like the writers, like I mean Brandon Brandon Braga and Ronald Moore, like are, like they they made great television well after this, and my era Stephen Burr and stuff like this. But one of the problems with being on the forefront of something that obviously you never know what's going to become a trend, but parallel universes and maybe it's all in your head and everything else, like became not necessarily because of Star Trek because they're writing like this other like. Oh, I read this thing about quantum universes, and they're like, "Let's write an episode about that." No one's heard of it before. You know, same thing with this. This feels like—I mean, this is ninety-one. That Buffy episode is like ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, there must have been an X Files episode, right? I—I tr- I mean, the, unless they, unless the writer specifically said we do this too, that this has been done too much. It's such a perfect thing to like put put Mulder in a in a in a psychic asylum, right? So I think I can't remember if they do exactly this. It feels like they did. They did do a lot of realizing that like trying to convince Mulder that like, hey, so and you I think you watched a couple episodes of this where it's like, hey, uh, the alien stuff was just a, was like fucking wires and a boogeyman to hide actual government malfeasance, and you kind of bought yeah. like and they and they convince him of that for a while that there's no such thing as aliens and stuff like that, which feels like X Files version of this, um, but and over a longer arc, over a longer arc. So I I'm and again I'm there's I, like I feel like the, I've seen scenes from the Hercules episode where Kevin Sorbo realizes he's actually Kevin Sorbo or or like. He's Hercules, and everyone's like, you're in a show, dude. And he's like, like, I feel like there was a lot of those. I think there's a Lois and Clark episode. So a lot of things that came after. But yeah, the the problem with that is that, like, even though Star Trek didn't popularize it, it's an early incarnation of that. So it's not it's not doing a spin on something that the writer saw. It's just like, let's just do that. And again, as an 11-year-old who's never seen the what if everything's happening in your head and reality's breaking down and you're seeing, like, the 
like a dying defending itself brain and everything you saw like that. Now that's almost an eye rolling twist at the end of movies that people make fun of. But in 1991, it was like, holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> Never seen anything. 1991 like is full of fun. Yeah. It, 1998 not so great 1991 there's only two things people were talking about it was frame of mind and steven spielberg's always <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh aaron's perception and how it affected memory yeah, yeah. yeah um so yeah i again even watching this i don't have a lot of interest in no that's shit about this episode yeah even i will say even watching it back it's one of those episodes that like so many of these episodes whether it's tapestry or chain of command or a lot of the episodes we did last week, I hadn't seen in a while, and I'm like, oh, fuck, these are good episodes of Star Trek. And this one's like, I can see why 12-year-old Aaron loved this episode, but yeah. it's not the best. Uh, one that actually... That's, I mean, that's why we're watching it at different perspectives, right? Yeah. It's like, some of this stuff is aged magnanimously. Yeah. Like, like I was just talking about the budget limitations of Chain of Command. Beautiful. Yeah. Like, wonderful. Yeah, so the next one is Parallels, which is our first Season 7 episode. Season 7 is... Seasons 3 through 6 are, are known as, like, pretty locked in. Almost every episode's worth watching. There's obviously some silly ones here and there. Season 7 is kind of known as, like, they're running a little bit out of gas. Um, half the episodes are great. Um, there was another episode I thought about choosing that kind of reminded me of this, where the crew starts de-evolving, which has some... Cre- cool scary creature effects again we'll save it for the horror star trek episode but um and that kind of de-evolution concept into like your core evolutionary traits so, like people are turning into spiders and other weirdo stuff is like is a lot of amphibians is, is is fun um but this one actually held up a little bit better than i was worried like there was a moment even before i started watching i'm like should i switch this last I minute mean, because like we're living in the thing where, like, parallel universe, this weird quantum universe is this weird concept for me 30 years ago that no one I knew had ever heard of for another 15, 20 years. And then some media started introducing. It's like fucking everywhere in the fast five years. And this is going to be a very minor example of now what is a very trendy concept that fucking every show seems to be to be doing but I was surprised at how much I still kind of enjoyed it. And I think part of that is so essentially Worf has passed through something that is causing him to shift into different quantum universes. So um, originally, as you go from your core universe, those changes are minors. The, there's supposed to be a surprise party. There there wasn't a surprise party. There's The cake at a birthday party was chocolate. Then it was yellow. Um, the And then it gets you know bigger as it goes out. Worf is married to Troy. Um, what Wesley Crusher is still working in the Enterprise. Um, Picard died from the Borg. Like as you fan out, sorry. So what? Sorry. <laughs> Picard died from being a sorry. Borg. Sorry. I like the term "working at the Enterprise" does not conjure uh, that he's he still in Starfleet. Duty on a starship. He is still <laughs> he's still in Starfleet and still assigned to the Enterprise. And now he's like. A lieutenant. Now it's yeah, it's it's just you said working at Enterprise, and I was like, yeah, he working at Enterprise. Cool. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm glad he's doing some good out there. People need cars when they go places. So yeah, um, it it it, it kind of like you're moving through, and one of the things that I like about it too is that it's so hyper focused on Worf because Worf is the one that's moving through these realities, and the way that they transition is imperceptible to 
even Worf, right? He just opens his eyes and he's exposed to this a specific sort of radiation from Jordy's visor that is triggering kind of some DNA changes as he passed through this space anomaly and he's he's imperceptibly moving into another universe. So he'll open his eyes and, you know, kind of rub his temple for a second. All of a sudden people will be gone out of the room and he'll have a different uniform on. It's a, it's a, it's a nice effect. And what, the part that I loved the most as a kid was the last scene where the quantum universes are collapsing and all these different enterprises are popping into existence. And like that as a concept was like fucking mind blowing. It's the first time I'd ever seen or heard of that. And I like that you even have like the enterprise who's like, about to blow up and has underpowered because uh, the Borg have taken over. Like, oh man, there's a parallel universe where the Borg won. Like, that's so cool to think about and stuff like that. And now I find, like, that stuff's fine. I don't have, like, anything bad or good necessarily to say about it. But the part I really like about it is the way it kind of, like, really zooms in on Worf in this way that, like, Worf so many times, I think was a part of interesting plots, but he doesn't get a lot of characterization. Like, I like this Klingon Civil War arc. All the interesting stuff is seemingly happening around Worf. And so many of the, you know, we talked about how this show's good at having, like, character-centric episodes and how they interact with someone. So there's the Beverly episodes, there's a Geordi episode, there's all these sort of things. This is a fun Worf episode where instead of doing Klingon shit or warrior shit or all the, or like, I need, you know, or like the ethics as they noted of like him breaking his spine and wanting to kill himself when he has a son, which is a really good episode called Ethics that they referred to as when Troy started to, him and Troy started to build a friendship. Um, it's about him doing fantastical sci-fi stuff, but instead of being in any way interested in what's going on because it's Worf, he is just, you know, he's like eoring through the whole situation and just like, this is so annoying and frustrating so it, it like speaks to michael yes. doran's comedic abilities while also kind of opening this door to him less as like a warrior character and also just like understanding that he is like very humorous the thing that ds9 ds9 does warf so much better than the next generation it's not even funny something that even the writers of next generation and ds9 note like Worf could be very one note in the next generation and we gave him a lot of nuance. And one of the things that's so good is they realize how funny Michael Dorn is as a comedic actor playing a overstimulated straight straight man in a series, a bunch of bunch of goofy shit going on. And like, this is a really good example of that. So would it be in my top 25 favorite next generation episodes today? Probably not. But as a kid, I loved it for the sci-fi concept that felt mind-blowing. And as an adult, I still really appreciate it as this – both this kind of sweet story between his friendship with Troy that maybe could be something more, which will actually be touched on uh, later in the finale as well. And um, and a chance for Michael Dorn to not just be a tough warrior dude. Yeah, yeah, you 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 stated it well. Um, the what I really love about it is seeing flustered Dorn. Yeah, uh, flustered Dorn, Dorf. or Dorn. Uh, sorry, Dorf. Flustered Dorf. If you've ever seen him golf, <laughs> sorry, I accidentally watched Dorf on Quantum Mechanics. Um. <laughs> now I'm really short in this universe. <laughs> In this universe, I got off my knees. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a normal guy. <laughs> just living life. 
<laughs> in this universe, I'm bad at golf. Yeah. I, I don't know how I don't know how to tell you this, Peter, but the joke on of Dorf on golf is that he's doing a golf video, but he's not actually all that good at golf. Oh, let me uh, explain the joke that I was telling. <laughs> he doesn't know that he's bad at golf, so he uh, in the he's like in this universe. I guess I'm bad at golf. Oh, so you're saying That's in that crazy. universe he does a video to show how to be bad at golf, but he's secretly good? Yeah. So he yeah. real he realizes at some point he's bad at golf, and he thinks that he's crossed over into an alternate universe. Yeah. But that constant yeah. is still constant. <laughs> we should cover what, a too heavy? When are we going to cover Dorf on golf? We've talked about it <laughs> quite a lot for something that probably after jungle to jungle. Okay. Um. <laughs> We we got a. I guarantee Dorf on Golf never made its way to DVD. So hopefully there's a VHS rip. Can you imagine? Like we need to we uh, need to find a, a thing that we you and me need to go to a Goodwill and find VHS players for. <laughs> well, we have to do it more than say. Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. I do think it's funny that somehow a popular 30 minute video that I saw. I, I mean, I saw this video. I, I think I rented it a few times. I mean, rented it from the library. And it was about a man named Tim Conway. It was like, what if I put shoes on my knees and walk around? <laughs> That's it. That's the concept. I guess country music wasn't paying that well. I don't think that's the right Conway. <laughs> I think you're thinking <laughs> of Conway Tim Twitty. Conway? What? I think you're thinking of Conway no! Twitty. Tim Conway. Ah, uh, I don't know. It's the same guy. All right. So, um, yeah. So, parallels. Uh, uh i yeah i think you you also summarized one of my okay so <laughs> i almost did it again wharf being flustered uh is uh is inherently very funny and like uh i think that they stay grounded to his emotional journey through all this so like act like i i, I don't find this episode frustrating in the way i do frame of mind mm-hmm. where like frame of mind i think they lose the character um and sometimes um it's not a bad performance it's actually a very impressive performance in frame of mind but it's 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 sometimes i'm just like oh what is he yelling about now why, why did he get upset in this scene versus the last like it's you just lose the sense of the character you don't lose that and with Worf in this at all and even in the multiverse thing that we've gr- all just kind of maybe grown tired of i don't know um um i was still shocked and pleased that they did the thing where one of these one of these universes is not maybe particularly noble yeah Um, yeah and i think that a fun way to do it is just to be like all right one of these guys is real fucking desperate real fucking desperate um and uh having to make having to kill your other you is interesting also uh wharf kissing the wife of another version of wharf is pretty funny (laughs) yeah she seems very much like well i know you're a totally different person from a different universe but i I gotta kiss someone (laughs) i think in this current the current circumstances like let's just let's let this one slide i uh yeah i mean they both know it's not like he tricks her into thinking he is the like she knows that he's the war from the other universe, and they and they have an affection for each other, not a romantic affection. I I like the ending where he's like, "Oh, you actually find out the shift happened sooner. The surprise party was part of an alternate universe," um, and he invites Troy out for for dinner. It's a very sweet scene. It's a, I I I really I really like the last 
five to eight minutes of this. Yeah. Like the conclusion of it, I think is wonderful. Yeah. How we get there is a little much for me. Um, but uh, I do, I do think that Worf in this universe should probably, he and Deanna Troy should probably, um, should probably be like, Hey, I wouldn't like knowing that Worf kissed Worf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah when he comes back like you kissed my other one did you know <laughs> we have children diana yes uh yeah there's that's not a huge part of the movie time crimes but the movie time crimes does have uh some of this in it yeah. where like the guy's like who's that kissing my wife oh it's me yeah no I, that jerk the guy's such a fucking dummy that guy that guy is a dummy <laughs> um, it's so dumb um yeah i uh i really i I like that. I also like one of the funny things about this rewatching it as a, as as an older adult as opposed to a younger adult uh, or a youth for that matter uh, is uh, yeah, you're not a youth anymore. They realize that like they it's a forty minute episode. They got a lot to do. One of the things you see sometimes is like as you're doing fantastical shit, you don't have time to deal with like the consequences. And one thing that struck me as very funny is like, I don't think the people in these alternate universes care for Jordy that much because he dies in two of the alternate universes. And they're like, Oh, Jordy's dead on this table. What's going on with that visor? Do you think it has to do with why you're shifting? Like they, no one has any mourning. No one seems to care that Jordy died. Cause the show, I, I get it. The show can't be about, about pe- being sad for Jordy. Cause the writers know, A, it doesn't matter. Jordy, this is a different Jordy universe. But I love that the characters in the universe seem like, um, like here's this person dead on the table that theoretically Deanna's, Deanna's friends with. And she's like, you're not my wharf. Like, that's the biggest priority. And they have this conversation over Jordy's dead, burned body in sickbay while they, like, are talking over, like, what do you mean what's going on here? Like, it's very, it's very funny. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I find, I find all of that very charming. Um, but it's just how we get to some of the payoff i, I was just a little yeah. tired of I was like, yeah i know the bear look, uh, but i also like like some especially in a 45 minute something episode, they, i'm like i know where this is going so two things then we can move on to the last episode one i you know one of the things they always talk about in parallel universe or quantum universe theories that yes every possible permutation happens so that means there's a universe where everything's the exact same except like you have a one of your birthdays had a different frosting on your cake than the other one, right? If it was a possible permutation of that. And they always talk about that when they talk about like quantum universe theory or infinite universes or something like that. But no television show ever shows it. They're like any even minor changes. Anyways, in this one, everyone's a frog person who can, (laughs) who speaks out of their butts, right? And I do like that this movie is like, as you move outward from your universe, the changes get more noticeable and bigger because more and more different decisions have cascaded into different things. And I like that, you know, the essentially the first three universes he transports to, he doesn't notice at all because the changes are incredibly minor. And I, I you don't see that that often in these, like, alternate universe type shows. They always go, like, they talk about it and then they go really big. And also the final one I just have to mention, which is one of my favorite data lines, maybe in the full... Um, uh, in the full series, when he gives he gives Worf a present of a painting, and he hands it to him and goes, "I've entered my expressionist phase." 
Oh yeah, that painting looks like uh, that painting looks like AI art. Yeah, but it's like it's like the Battle it's like of Trafalgar. So hard to look at. It's like a famous Klingon battle, and it like just looks like. And Worf looks at him. He's like, "Well, I've entered my expressionist phase," which is funny because also there was probably a switch that Data flipped to go. Now I've literally entered by pressing this button my <laughs> expressionist phase, which is such a funny thing. All right, last one. Lower decks. Not just a great episode of Star Trek. But um, a series that 30 years later inspired a really great Star Trek show where it exclusively focuses on lower deck characters. Uh, Again, the freedom in season seven. Hey, we've done a lot of episodes. What do we want to do before we wrap up the show? Let's do a show focusing on the red shirts. You know, Star Trek from the beginning, there's a reason why they called red shirts in TOS. You know, they would beam down on the planet. There was two minor extra characters and and they were wearing red shirts and they got shot and no one ever seemed to care in those episodes and so this is kind of both commenting on that and drilling down to the fact that you know this enterprise has a thousand people on, on board and sometimes we see some little stories about those characters exclusively of like if one starts dating a member of the crew or something like that or they need a guest star or like a a, a recurring guest star like Barkley but what's it like for the junior officers that are on the Enterprise? And so they tell the story through the perspective of these four junior officers. We still get to see our characters, but we are almost exclusively, not entirely, but almost exclusively seeing this week's mission through pe- from the perspective of people that don't know the whole story, don't know what's going on in the conference room while they're discussing what's their plan is and something like this. We're seeing it from a new perspective. Um Two of those people are vying for promotions, um, and uh, one's in security for the ops position or piloting the ship. Uh, Riker has another person he's looking at for promotion of, like, a key ops duty. Um, We also get this great scene where there's, like, a a cross-cutting between these lower decks, these ensign characters playing poker and talking about their superior officers and whether Riker likes them or... You know, I love my boss, Dr. Beverly Crusher, and everything else, cross-cutting to the senior officers playing poker and kind of talking about promotion decisions and evaluating some of the people. Uh, And the key emotional core of this episode is that eventually you find out there's this Cardassian that they've rescued, which is why all the secrecy, different characters are piecing together different parts of what's going on. And one of the characters who actually is recurring from an episode you didn't see, Peter, called The First Duty... Uh, I don't think you need to see it because they summarize it well, but essentially she with Wesley Crusher in the Starfleet Academy did a risky, fun uh, piloting maneuver that resulted in the death of one of the people who was who was doing it. And then they covered it up and lied about it. And the first dirty duty is to the truth and everyone gets kind of reprimanded, but they stay in Starfleet. And one of the ensigns who Worf is recommending for this ops position She's Bajoran, and she can be helpful in, in sneaking this Cardassian defector back into space because he she can be a prisoner for for him. Um, she's not being ordered to go on the mission. Picard first kind of references in a kind of a test to say, I don't know how you ended up on this, on this um, Enterprise. For a second, you think like, oh, holy shit, is Picard an asshole? And we've seen him be nice to see – like. You know, is he an asshole to the ensigns and the other people on it? Because he's like, he has none of his normal, like, uh, character and he's 
yelling at this ensign. Don't know how you ended up here. You were a disgrace to the uniform. Can't believe you would apply for a job. I know about that. If it was up to me, I would have. Yeah. Uh, I would have drummed you out of the him. academy, every, everything else. And you find out that that was him, like, doing a test of kind of her character. And then at the end notes that I know why you ended up on the Enterprise. I specifically requested you because I believe in second chances and I wanted you to get judged fairly. And I knew you could get judged fairly if you were on the Enterprise with me. And, like, it's like, oh, there's the Picard <laughs> that we know this great humanist and believer in the power of humanity. But um, this uh, Kira ends up going on this mission. Um, and there's not a big to-do about it. They go to meet her escape pod, only to find out that it's there and it was destroyed. It didn't. She In her escape back to Federation space, uh, she was caught and killed, and the escape pod was blown up. Um, and so our character, that the, one of the other characters we've been following, gets the promotion um, instead, and it's bittersweet. And again, it's it's kind of like about what life is like for the people that aren't fully involved in everything. But also, I think, a, a, a kind of a almost important right-sizing for such a humanist show in general, or at least from an, like a show that tries to aim towards an, a humanist ideals and the value of human life that be, kind of became known for disposable no-name characters. And that's, I mean, to the fact that the term still exists outside of Star Trek, like a red shirt, someone who doesn't matter and dies. And so yeah. this is also them kind of saying like, hey, that was a... That was a miss for, like, us being this, like, Life Matters show, but also introducing the idea of disposable human beings, you know, different writers 30 years ago as a, as a joke. Let's right-size that and note that, yes, these people that die on missions and that they're, they're human beings that had respect and love and had personalities and that, you know, aren't disposable, even though we know that they're dying in background situations on these shows all the time. So... I love I love this episode. It's such a great, I think, way to end this kind of look at these episodes because it, it speaks to a show that is willing to tell other stories that feels like a freedom to not have the main cast be the main cast for a week. Uh, and also, again, was so beloved that it inspired a whole different Star Trek series that's called Lower Decks um, about people that are ensigns. And it almost has the same like configuration of four leads one who really wants to be a commander, one who's not that interested in it. I mean, it's 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 great. Lower Decks is amazing. Yeah, uh, incredible episode. I can see why it's kind of an episode that like I've seen people referenced online as like a meme almost. Um, and I do think it's crucial that the red shirt dies. Yeah, because otherwise, I don't think the dramatic point would land. Um, if they had saved her, because like it would be emotionally easier for the writers mm-hmm. to do so. Um, because you really don't want her to die. No, she, like, they really do a good yeah. job of establishing a character, showing you her struggles, making her very charismatic and relatable, and then killing her on a mission that is kind of this rough-and-tumble espionage thing. Like, yeah, that you don't even get to see. There's too many variables to yeah. control. Yeah. She's basically on her own. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even know if she can trust her um, co-conspirator yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, like, that scene where Worf trains her is so goddamn good. Like, I love that scene. So, But it speaks to, like, introducing this character and making you feel for her. Like, so the scene is that Worf is, like, doing this training exercise with one of his security officers who she he knows that, like, Riker doesn't think all that highly of her. And he knows that she was dressed down by Picard. 
right? And I don't, we don't know because we're not seeing Picard talk to Worf if Worf knows what Picard was doing. Like, you know, that's kind of left to our imagination. But he, he she does, he does this uh, fight exercise with her where he puts a blindfold on her and keeps yelling at her to defend uh, herself. You know, which he's he's Worf. He's the security chief. She has a blindfold. <laughs> you know, she he's knocking her off the mat every single time. And finally, she throws down the blindfold and said, and is like, what is this supposed to teach me? This is nothing. Like, of course, you're going to win every time. I'm wearing a blindfold. You're older and more experienced than me. This is an unfair, stupid test. And he's like, you passed. Like, maybe next time you won't wait as long to... Uh, call a situation unfair when it's being directed at you that way. It's like it's a great moment, and like again, speaks to how great Worf was becoming in the last few seasons, and where he ends up on DS Nine too. So, yeah, yeah, I uh, I love that sequence as well. It's sort of a it's kind of a mini version of like um, the um, what's the what's the unwinnable test? Oh, Kobayashi in- Maru. Yeah. It's Kobayashi Maru style thing where he just, uh, Worf just makes up a, like, unget yeah, yeah. or whatever. He just makes up a, makes up a, a Klingon, Klingon word, term. which is also very she, funny. She doesn't know she speaks Klingon. Yeah. And she has maybe learned Klingon either out of her own intelligence or out of her own chutzpah that yeah. she was like, I want to, I want to learn Klingon because the, my mentor yeah. know, is Klingon. Yeah. Um, regardless. Um, it's funny. I forget what the exact word is, but he's like, so this this test is called like death spiral and he's like there's yeah, he's yeah. like there's no such thing as that yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of that where it's, it's not the same principle yeah. but it's a sort of a, a neighboring principle it's like what do you do in an unwinnable scenario yeah. right um the, the lesson is different um but like uh it's at least in the same thinking it's like thinking out of the, outside yeah. of the box right? well uh kirk um, won by basically saying it was unfair and cheating yeah challenge yeah yeah, challenge your constraints right like and like yeah kirk said if the system's cheating i'm gonna cheat right um i i i found that very like elegant um uh wharf actually mourning her death is also like very like touching Mm -hmm. um because i think that the show does a very good very good job with like set like sad or flustered wharf um in particularly the episodes we've seen so far, like I, I, you, you see Michael Doran's range and a character that's specifically supposed to be similar to other races on the show, specifically supposed to be sort of like sober and level-headed and sort of like you're a lot. The only emotion you're allowed to show as a Klingon is anger. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And I, th- I think that uh, him trying to struggle with like my my people actually need me to like be vulnerable right now and as much as it like it's an extra tax for me to pay it's actually better for me and for them if i'm vulnerable right now yeah um i can't i can't just hide behind the uniform and pretend like this is all you know a day in the a day in the job Mm -hmm. and i feel like that is where the episode comes to its its thematic close is Worf coming and sitting with them because that's him recognizing i love i love that scene so much yeah that's him recognizing that this isn't just another day at 10 forward dealing with you know messy moral complications it's like somebody who he was sponsoring and putting time into and got to know and Mm -hmm. and become a friend with died yeah and there's 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 her friends and like, and again, no one is, 
they do recognize that like um that's kind of the deal like in in starfleet right there's you know there's i think it's a good choice that they underplay the sadness at recognizing that someone died right because it actually i think makes it more it resonates stronger like yeah the the look of i forget the other ensign who's who's um doing uh going for the job but when he's like wait what what we're looking for an escape pod like what life sign should i be scanning for knowing that their friend had been gone and might be on a mission and you know picard's like bajoran and he's like okay good we're gonna get her back and when he scans and realizes they found bajoran life signs like basically blown to smithereens in space and like particles like the look on his face as he kind of slowly swallows but still has a job to do like is so like brutal because of how momentarily he ex- excited he was in a very like starfleet buttoned up way that that he's gonna rescue his friend only to find out that he has to be the one that realizes that she's not not with him anymore like and like yeah. and the way that Worf handles it too of just like sitting with people like it's it's such a good way you know, having a funeral where everyone's crying or something like that, I think it's not that it wouldn't have been effective. That's true to real life, but it might not have fit what like the show is trying to to hit on, which is that, yes, in this universe, the people that are in Starfleet understand, you know, that there is a risk in what they're doing and that there's sometimes a, a human life cost. What that isn't is a reason for everyone to just move on or move past it if it's no big deal in the way that we've kind of not taken much care to to show. Um, and even um, even Star Trek, the, the the original motion pictures, tries to right-size this a little bit. There's that scene that's a little bit silly, like, in context, but you understand what they're going for in Star Trek 2, where, because um, in Star Trek 2, everyone's a cadet. Remember on the on the ship and Scotty brings that mm-hmm. dead cadet to the bridge, which is where kind of the why do you bring it to the bridge? But it's that moment of recognizing, hey, this guy was a kid who just died in this weird vengeance battle between these two people as opposed to just, oh, who cares? He's not a named actor and, he, and he's we have to kill someone to show the stakes are here. And so, yeah, I, I think this is a, a great way to right size that and an incredibly emotional, strong episode. And yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's both an apology, but it also retroactively works because the show is not a day by day catalog yeah. of everything that's happening. It also works to imply backwards. That, this has always happened. Um, Picard and Kirk and other captains like ha- maybe did take time to sponsor these young ensigns and and, and, yeah. and take time in their career and like try and make them the future of uh of the federation yeah. and um unless you were like a young or like a, a low-grade junior lieutenant picard who didn't take any risk then yeah fuck that guy yeah. I, it uh, it's also funny because in that they don't they don't use the young actor yeah so it's like there's like a 65 year old uh, it's like it's like it, the movie the uh, the intern starring Robert De Niro. There's Is that, Robert oh, De Niro supposed to entry level job? But, uh, well, he's not entry. He's a lieutenant junior grade. He's an officer. Just didn't take any yeah, risks. I guess he's not an ensign. Yeah, just didn't take any risks, Peter. Yeah. Take some risks in stellar cartography. <laughs> Zoom in on that map so quickly. <laughs> Give you fucking whiplash, man. 
Uh, okay, so this is this episode yeah. is great because yeah. I um, this episode is great for many reasons. Um, timing wise, it's pretty funny because like we are just concluding like pace reviews at work and yeah. shit. Because um, that always because nobody wants to do that shit over the holidays, yeah. so it just drags into the year. Yeah. Um, um, it's not so much like all of us are sitting around talking about who got promoted, but like it's this idea that um, there's like levels within ev- all these organizations. There's hierarchies in yeah. all these organizations, and um, you can be tempted to focus on the CEO, like the C-suite and such. But like very often, like the problems and the successes are on the back of the people that are on the lower level, yeah. right? Um, and I feel like that's it was it was good timing. Because, like, it's also about, like, how managers being, like, this kid is trying too fucking hard. Oh this kid is just, like, really trying. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's what they hard. say. I, like, I love the poker scene where Riker is just, like, this guy is trying to be my friend. He's trying to do well. And that annoys me, which is a real feeling if you've ever, like, there is a little bit too much of, like, just bad vibes sometimes, which is not fair to people who are trying to do their job. Like, I don't know what my, and in a bad, like toxic capitalist corporate culture where it's like, I don't know what my boss wants. It's like, you're being too helpful, which is annoying to me. But I love that. Like, uh, Troy, who obviously has known Riker for a long time is like, wait, didn't you go into, to start making a name for yourself by like, inviting yourself to the officer's poker game and you learned how to play poker just to imp- impress them <laughs> and don't you think maybe they were like okay yeah he's being annoying ki- an annoying kid who like clearly is out of bounds and trying too hard but you know we're not gonna hold that against him he's a good officer yeah. I, I it's such a great little like human moment of troy being like you know again kind of going to the tapestry thing with like hey are you where where Picard kind of looks back on his youth and has a lot of regrets and like cringy moments of like God, I wish I'd done that. Riker's kind of forgotten his is what this is implying. Yeah, yeah. he's kind of like he's kind of just charged forward. Yeah. He's like, I got here and I've I've learned some lessons from it, but like, yeah, um, he he maybe lost a little bit of the empathy there. Yeah. I I think it's great also that the each ensign is on their own journey. Yeah. Um. Uh. Alyssa, Alyssa, the young like yep, doctor. Yep. Um, I find that arc very funny for one key reason. Um, she doesn't have anything to contend with. There's not space in the episode for. Well, her. she and she's been on a few episodes before. Nurse, yeah, Nurse Agawa. She, in one yeah. of the alternate timelines, she she's is the doctor. The, the, she's she's Beverly. Yeah, she doctor. she's a recurring. She's kind of like the Chief O'Brien, like recurring uh, doctor character or nurse character. Yeah, but she doesn't have kind of any real struggles here except for that her boyfriend is maybe cheating on her or whatever hold Um, on did i did i go to the bathroom and not hit pause do they resolve the cheating boyfriend thing he asked her to marry her and then crusher just takes that as oh yeah and i was like i was i was like so i I, was he doing talking to that other lady then was he buying an engagement ring i don't know or maybe it was just crusher seeing things or something well because in the finale uh she's pregnant and i was like wait did i miss the like uh, we'll we'll get to that, yeah. but yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah, so here's my point there. Yeah, um, I really like that actor um, that plays Alyssa. Yeah. She's great. Yeah, uh, and her and Crusher have great chemistry. And when they say they're friends, you buy that they're yeah. friends. Um, which is one of the best things about the show in general is that like when when people when characters are like when Data's like Jordy's my best friend. Um, it feels like, like they're yeah. Believe that, 
It's not just like it's not just because like the writers had two or three seasons where you see them in the bar earlier. Like every interaction is like engaged with respectfully and like between friends, right? That's why. Oh and yeah, and that one of the so, one of the reasons I wanted to show these in order is there there is a lot of that that builds. Like my favorite ep- scene from Tapestry is the ending scene where Picard is recounting all this to Riker, and like you wouldn't have had that scene in season one, but you probably also wouldn't have had it in season three and four, like. These, these people, there's less of a continuity episode to episode, but their characters are and their relationships yeah. they are. There's there's continuity there. And so, like, I love that scene where Picard is just kind of like to a wide-eyed Riker, like sharing some of himself. Because even Picard, who has, you know, very purposely kept himself at a distance from some of the crew, um, which will be a theme in the finale as well, like these like softening moments that he has where he's confiding in Troy about like the torture that he went through or stuff or talking to Riker about like that, you know, what happened to him on his deathbed, like visions and stuff like that is are such great moments that again, only works if these characters have as good a chemistry and, and, and the only thing that gets them through some of the shitty movies we already covered is like, Man, Riker and Troy and War, like, they all seem to really, like, be legitimate friends and like each other. And not to sound like I'm a um, promo spot for the television show Friends in, in 1996 or whatever. But, I mean, one of the fun things about this show is that all of these people, like, as, you know, we're 30 years later now. They're all in another show together called Picard for the final season. Um, yeah, they all. I was, I, I was wondering if, uh, I was wondering if you and I were going to watch the Picard pilot. At some I, mean, point. I think there, not all of them apparently show up till now in the third season. It's like all the cast is back. Uh, yeah, they, um, uh, they show ads in some, in, even in the paid tier of Paramount Plus for some Comedy Central stuff. Um, so I was like, <clears throat> I don't want to know anything about yeah. Picard because I want to know kind of like. You know, I want to, when I want to watch it, I want it to be kind of shocking. Yeah. Like, oh, this person, like, uh, well, for one, I want to know if Jonathan Frakes is still hot, but well, it's, it's the most important thing, right? Um, uh, but like, oh, this person died or this person returned. Like, I kind of want that to be a fun surprise for me. And then Paramount Plus is like, hey, motherfucker. Here they all are. Here's a four minute unskippable ad <laughs> for Picard. Um, a- anyways, um, so while we're, while we're there really quickly, Alyssa, um, the Alyssa plot, um, they're actually, like, friends. I find it funny, and maybe a little backwards, that on a show with a lot of strong women characters, the only conflict that they have between these two women is, um... A man. Them talking about a boyfriend? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this show is not, I mean, Star Trek, I think, one of the things they talk about, I'm, I'm reading that book, like, the, the 50-year mission, um part one because it's a long long oral history and one thing they really talk about in the 60s television show is like how ahead of the game the show could be on racial disparity or racial representation and how backwards it has kind of like it's been really slowed and i think this even goes into next generation to even be ahead of societal's curve when it comes to like women and misogyny and gender issues like the do you know the last episode of star trek the original series peter is about what if kirk got transported into a woman's body and how women can't be captains <laughs> no yeah i didn't know that. so like i'm glad i'm glad someone finally said <laughs> it's yeah um 
So it's uh, Jesus Christ, man. Well, I mean, that's so they they talk about that a lot about how like and part of it is like blamed on the fact that like again and, and this is so well known is that like I mean Gene Roddenberry was a pretty well known like womanizer, um, like you know like were you gonna say a word that starts with P? No. Were you going to say poon hound? Oh, no. I, just, I don't think I've ever said... P- you were mouthing something, and I was like... Were you no, I, I don't think I've ever hound? said poon hound. Uh, I was going to say womanizer. Well, I, can, I can start saying poon I, hound. I've sullied your mouth with this vile no, it's word. it's a new part that I, I guess I could be saying. Um, Sorry. We can edit this out. Yeah, but... Uh, you you did... You, like, puckered your lips like you were going to say... <laughs> um, well, I was thinking of the right way to, to say it. I'm like, womanizer's right, because there's not, like, specific... It is, yeah, womanizer's There's not right. specific allegations against him, but, like, he would hire... Like, how he met his second wife, Major Barrett, is that, like, he would hire her because he had a crush on her while he was married to someone else. And so, like, he liked girls in miniskirts and all the other things, and it's like... Yeah, he had a very, like... Again, for 1960... He was on the progressive end of white people when it came to racial issues. That doesn't mean he was progressive in our juncture or even compared to the, you know, to black people fighting for civil rights of the day. But he was on the a, a, a curve. And when it came to, uh, you know, gender disparity issues, he was way behind on the curve. And I, I, I'm only noting that because, like, even, I mean, Star Trek The Next Generation has, I think, still a lot of problems in that area. And it, like... It's almost like it did a little bit like, yeah, sure, women are equal now, so we don't have to pay any attention to that. And, like, it has these weird things, yeah, about, like, Beverly Crusher and Alyssa being like, I think that boy's cheating on you as their big, like, boss-friend conflict. It's, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. But, yeah, the, the uh, oh, really quickly, also, the show, I don't think the show has had, except for Sarek, has it had any Vulcans? Oh, yeah, tons. Oh, okay, because none of the episodes we watched ever really had Vulcans, and it makes sense why there'd be none in the principal cast, because they're trying to yeah. they're trying to open it up, and, like, having a Klingon is actually way more, like, telling yeah. than having a Vulcan, because they already had a Vulcan. They also don't want, they want to avoid comparisons yeah. to Spock, right? And it's I, th- I think the Vulcan performance here is pretty good. Oh, yeah, I like it. Uh, it's good. Um... It feels minor because the two our two leads that are vying for the promotion are kind of the dramatic heft, and he's just like kind of showing what it's like working for LaForge, but he's he's funny, and they have like almost that character in Lower Decks. Like it's so funny how they took essentially somewhat template characters, but then they also ran it through the fact like the 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 main lead of Lower Decks, her mom is the captain and she hates being on the ship. Also, it's so goddamn funny that Lower Decks is canon to all of Star Trek. It's so good. Um, we we gotta watch Lower Decks at some point. But anyways, uh, yeah, that's it. That's Star Trek Next Generation, Aaron's Favorites Part 2. Peter, I would say, like, how do you feel about Next Generation? But we're not even there yet. We're gonna talk about that next week. And then we've already talked about there's more next generation coming with the last three movies we need to cover that actually inform that. So we're we're not anywhere near the end of the next generation, but I hope you enjoyed those twelve episodes that um for the most part I still many of them I still love today. Uh I did. And a couple of them I would say I can see why Aaron of nineteen ninety three loved <laughs> it so much. I did, but that's also like I want an episode that's like bad Star oh, Trek episodes. We're, we're like, gonna I get want... we're gonna get there, Peter. 
I want a sampling of everything. It's very funny that I have, between all the episodes we've watched, I've probably seen a season's worth. Yeah, like probably like 20, 2025. 20, yeah, I would say that's right. Uh, and there's a lot there's of episodes. Do you want to see hundreds? We mean we'll we'll eventually do one where uh, Beverly falls in love with a ghost. Um, so well, a, Jesus, dude, I have to go to bed. Such tonight. a bad episode. Um, Stop fucking scaring me. We'll get me. there, but we're actually going to um, you know to end this little mini run for now of Star Trek. We're going to kind of wrap up or put some level of button on the next generation with the finale called All Good Things two-parter uh, viewed by like an insane amount of people for a syndicated television show. Star Trek Next Generation was this insane hit. Did you know the seventh season was nominated for like best drama series at the Emma Emmys? Like pretty, pretty crazy. And this episode is usually cited as one of the best television show finales of all time. I, sometimes I think, like, even though there's better individual episodes, this is such a great send-off and summation of everything that made The Next Generation so good, both by way of heady sci-fi concept and really digging into these characters' relationships and also kind of noting their evolution over the last seven years, that, like, there are times where I, like, you know, you ever see those, like, Twitter prompts, like, what's the, what TV show's best episode is also its final episode and this is always the one that comes to mind for me so i'm not trying to oversell it or or give you too high of expectations but i like ending on nemesis made no sense but also there's a part of me that's always been very excited to get to this point to watch this finale because it's it's really good and i think you're gonna like it quite a bit yeah uh the leftovers i mean yeah justified people say it about six feet under which i never watched um i never watched six feet under either um I, I think the shield you could make a case that like the last two episodes are the best the show ever was. I never finished. I watched the first like three seasons and then I was like, I get it. This guy. Oh sucks. my god, the last couple. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, I get what you're doing here. That that is a. It didn't have the. It didn't have the Breaking Bad thing where I was like, I want to see the next horrible thing you're gonna do. I was like, I this guy sucks. I actually think um, it's a rare show that the best season is its last season, and that like five, six, and seven are like the top three in in ascending order seasons yeah descending order <laughs> but yeah uh we're gonna do all good things just just one two hour 90 minute episode peter for next week uh and then we're gonna take a little break before we get back to we love to watch stuff so we'll see you next week uh even though i want to secretly go start it right now because i'm so excited yeah. to watch it good night good night i don't want a lot of christmas there is just one thing that I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want to boldly go. More than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is Captain Log. It's almost Christmas. And there is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree.
I don't want to hang my stocking there above the fireplace. Number one won't make me happy with the toy on the Christmas day. I just want to make it so more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for 